Ten past nine, you're with SAFM 104 to 107. If you have just joined us, I'm Michelle Constant. Don't forget, at 10 o'clock, the lovely KG will join you with Seasons playing you your favorite music for a Sunday. And for those of you who were hoping for songs to be played now, Anthony, um, thank you so much for your uh, further email or SMS. Unfortunately, we can't play your song right now. Because why? Because now is the time to go into our guest. And she's going to choose the music, as you've just heard. She's also going to choose her own guests. She's brought one of her guests with her. And uh, we're going to talk so much about specifically about the exact thing we were talking in word domination. How do we look at education? How do we look at community skills? And how do we look, and I think that this is the thing that really intrigues me, at uh, multi-sector partnerships? What do I mean by that? Public, private, and civil society, or third sector partnerships. We keep reading about it, hearing about it, that the time has come for these partnerships to take place where the public sector and the private sector and civil society join forces and make things happen. Zahira Suma is the global head of education and community schools at Anglo-American, and she focuses on a variety of projects specifically looking at education uh, in its uh, purest form around the country and further, of course, as well. So, Hira, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Michelle, for having me here today. So, you know, we have a listener on the show who every single week or close on will ask for KG's... Um, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, featuring <laughs> Nom Thebo. Fortunately, I think you've just made her day, and I hope that we made your day. Why the choice? You know, Michelle, I work... I'm South African, um, proudly South African. It's in my heart, in my blood, in everything. Um, and I'm not just South African, I'm African, right? Like, I love the continent Africa. I've, I work for the past 15 years. I've been working globally in pretty much many, many countries around the world um, on things like education, health, um, very critical priority, key focus areas for citizens. Um, and I stay abroad at the moment as well. But my heart and my roots are in South Africa and Africa. And Jerusalem is very close to me because whenever, I think it's one of those songs that I've caught on globally and mm. you find them in every single country and you hear it in every single country. And it's one of those songs where I was actually in Tanzania last week and it came on. And there's just something that comes alive in me when that song comes on. I want to stand up. I want to dance. I want to do the Jerusalem dance. And I feel this immense pride that takes over me for being South African and African. And I and whenever I travel, I hear it in the different countries that I go to. And so it's near and dear to me because I, I feel that pride when I hear it. So, yeah. You know, it's interesting. We... we you know, South Africa is in such a hard place at the moment. And, and I'm not just saying South Africa. I actually think a lot of countries mm. globally are in hard places. And we spend so much of our time infuriated, angry, uh, grieving maybe as well, depressed, uh, real anxiety. And then we hear a song like this or we listen to and watch Banyana Banyana win or we hear of a kid who came up on the show earlier, 14 years old, who's just won the continent's uh, chess player of the of the year. And you, you kind of go, yes, we love it. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't take much. Does no. <laughs> and I think even though with, I mean, you're right, there's so much that we struggle with in this country, but there's so much beauty in this country. I can tell you I've lived in a few countries now and I travel a lot, but the diversity and the Ubuntu spirit and the kindness that South Africans have 
it stands out everywhere. And it, yeah. it's, it's something that you can't get rid of in a South African. Like it's there always, no matter how long you've stayed abroad, it's part of you. And so it's those things that draw us back home, um, no matter what's going on where in the is country. Your, where is your original home? Port Elizabeth. So, Kabecha. Kabecha, yes. Yeah. Eastern Cape, Nelson Mandela Metropole. I grew up there, yes. Okay. And then uh, now are uh, heading up education and community skills at uh, Anglo American, a global company. And I think, you know, you mentioned uh, how you work in so many different countries with regards to education and community skills. Tell us, first of all, what you do with regards to education and community skills. And then, secondly, if I may, be interested to know how you shift and change that according to countries. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, look, we uh, I've worked in education and community skills for, for many years, right? Mm. For the past, I would say, seven or eight years. The mandates change depending on the organization that I'm with and what is it that we're trying to do. So within Anglo, we have a specific mandate. We work with specific provinces and we work in our host communities. Um but the goal always, wherever I've worked, is to really just improve education. It's about improving access, mostly for rural um, students. So children who have been left behind, who are not privileged, who are not part of the system, who are getting just... Um, you have so many other challenges to deal with that they don't actually get the benefit of the education system in the way that all of our kids do get it. So it's always been about access, number one. Number two, it's about closing the gap, right? What does privilege versus underprivileged get you? How do we close that gap? So we really talk about equal education. And then we, and then the third is around, well, what does this mean for your future? What opportunities are you going to get? Where is this going to lead you? How do we um, open the doors for you? You know, it's not about mainstream education education but it's about you know the when we when we were growing up you know you had these you would go into specific occupations. These were your mainstream occupations. The world is not like that anymore. Mm. Um, the world of entrepreneurship, the world of setting up your own business, the world of creativity, what tech's done for us, it's amazing. It's There's no mainstream anymore, right? Yeah. So it's, it's about how do you broaden an, a learner's mindset and how do you get them to think about what they want? What is their path that they're going to forge for themselves, not the one we forge for them? And, and that's what I'm trying to do with education and skills. It's around getting them to, to forge their own path, making sure they have access to the system and giving them the resources and the tools to do exactly what they need to do and want to do in this life and not feel any different to anybody else. So if I look at the three things that you say that you focus on, access, closing the gap, and then finally the future, it sounds to me that the work that you're doing is is um, from cradle to... Uh, maybe. Not grave. I don't want to say grave. But I, I know that's yes. why I paused because I said, is it from cradle to post matric or is it from cradle to post uh, graduation, uh, secondary education, tertiary education? Uh, what is? How far do you go? And, yeah. and how do you differentiate between each of those spaces? The the ECD, which is our binding constraint. Absolutely. Um, I think we don't. I don't know that there's an end to it. It's certainly not grave. We definitely don't go to that, right? But I would say lifelong that, learning. Life, lifelong learning. It is lifelong learning. So we absolutely have a big focus. I am a very big promoter of ECD. I feel mm. that if you don't get things right from the start, you're talking about, and not just literacy and numeracy at ECD levels, but you're talking about household nutrition. You're talking about parental skills. You're talking about cognitive growth you're talking about play um, and just building those those uh, those play skills those cognitive skills if you don't get that right from your 
age one to age five, yeah. you all, your learner's already starting on a back foot. So ECD is a very big component. Obviously, we work with primary and secondary schooling. That's your core component of education. And ECD in South Africa has now become part of that. And then um, we look at, when, and, and then skills comes into play when we think about post-schooling. So it's immediately when a child or learner leaves schools, what are their post-schooling opportunities? Yeah. But also we have a youth unemployment issue in South Africa and not just South Africa. Most of the other countries where we operate in and even you know, outside of Anglo, we have a youth unemployment issue globally. So it's how do we get our youth um, into exper experiential learning? How do we get them to be kind of considered? And then there's also a component of adult learning. So now with the world of tech, and especially in mining, mm. our future smart mining components, we're having to think about not just our employees, but our communities. How do you reskill? How do you upskill? And that's all skills development. So mm. our mandate doesn't really stop or my at least my passion doesn't stop at immediately post-schooling or tertiary. It goes beyond that because as an adult, um, even myself and even my colleague here, we've had to reinvent our careers at certain times, which meant going and reskilling or upskilling. Mm. And that's very uh, that's very prominent and um, uh, for and considerate for our communities that we work in. They're having to do the same. We need to go to a break, but when we come back from the break, um, I'm, I'm interested to know how we rate uh, according to many of the other countries that you're working in. Uh, you talk about other countries having uh, uh, unemployment as well. But how do we rate? And are other countries doing things differently? What can we learn from that? What can they learn from us? We'll talk about that after the break. Elizabeth. The Jet Set Breakfast with Michelle Constant. We're chatting to Zahira Suma. She's our guest today. She's the Global Head of Education and Community Skills at Anglo-American. We're talking about uh, what it is that you have to engage with with regards to education and really growing those skills as well. As Zahira noted, the first thing would be access, and we can look quite closely at ECD, early childhood development, with that particular one. We look at two, closing the gap. How do you close the gap? And that looks, of course, at, in many ways, geography. So if you are located in an area where there is no uh, internet or if you don't have access to books, then how do you start to close the gap and ensure that it is equal education for all? And finally, three, which talks to the future. And if we look at the future, the question, of course, is um, how jobs are changing. We don't have the same jobs. We can't really apply for the same jobs anymore. We need to constantly upskill, but also rethink how we position ourselves in the world. So here we were talking about the fact that... Uh, uh, Really, if we look at the work that you are doing, as you say, you're working in a diversity of countries around the world, owing to the fact that you work for a global corporation. What are some of the things that you take from that that maybe we they can learn from us and that we could learn from them? Absolutely. You know, I think one of the things that um, one of the things that I love about this role is because we have that global focus, which means we allow to transfer learnings and transfer sharing and transfer uh, what we know and what we don't know. I think there's a lot that South Africa can learn from others, but I think there's a lot that South Africa can give as well. Mm. Um, the things that I always talk about are, look, I think that um, we have such complexity and challenges in this country that we have to deal with, right? Right from political to just climate change to just e the economic status, the unemployment, um, the post-apartheid situation that we're still dealing with. We also have a brain drain or a talent drain in this country. People are leaving and, and immigrating out of South Africa. So there's a lot of 
base contexts or base challenges that we have to deal with yeah. that our government and even civil society and private sector has to try and solve for given the space of challenges. Um, what that does is it makes for a very good opportunity for very unique and tailored solutions that South Africa can come up with. There are some things that we've built within this country, solutions, programs, apps, opportunities, innovations. Give us some examples. Um, just thinking about some of our, how do you teach a rural child coding? Um, how do you build literacy in the rural village? Um, how do you uh, how do you take a household and help them improve, right? So you're talking about, we have no electricity in a lot of these places, we have no running water, a child doesn't have a dedicated room to go and study in. So there's no online learning taking place at home. Um, there's no Wi-Fi and connectivity. So so coming up with things like um, some, of our, some of our radio channels, some of our TV channels have come up with innovative ways of how do you get a child to teach. Things like putting things in a newspaper where you can scan, because every, every household has a phone. So you can scan the newspaper or the pamphlet and you can get access to it with no data costs associated hmm. with it, right? Hmm. Things like that. How do you get STEM access without, with dealing with the challenges of no connectivity, no Wi-Fi, no electricity, no room to deal with. So we've built programs in this country that are really tailored to the challenges and the context that we're dealing with. Um, and I think that a lot of other countries, not just South Africa, but I think in Africa, East and West Africa as well, there's a lot that's come out of these countries that other parts of the world are picking up and learning from because we've dealt with such difficult challenges. And through COVID, when other countries have gone through that, they've seen what South Africa, what mm. Kenya has done, what Tanzania, what Rwanda has done, Sierra Leone, Nigeria, and they've picked up on these solutions and they've adopted it in, in countries where they've never faced these challenges, but now do. So, I think. So can I just quickly, I mean, I do, how would you teach a child coding? I mean, I remember thinking, uh, interviewing someone, I think it was um, called uh, Knit for Coding, was, uh, where they used knitting to teach coding because it was a zero one zero one zero one zero one process. Yeah. How how could you teach coding where you might not have the access to the internet to etc. To, to tech in ways that uh, urban kids might. You, there are various ways. There are things like you can teach coding by knitting. There are building blocks. Yeah, there are building blocks. Um, there are physical tools you can buy and you can put into a household to teach coding, right? Mm. Um, like building blocks. You can also get programs that are not internet-based that you can download off a phone and you can access remotely. You can also get certain... There are types of devices that we can pass around pass along into communities where they teach yeah. coding. At the end of the day, coding, coding is about logical sequencing and logical problem solving. So you don't necessarily need to teach them how to code like a Python and how to code a script, mm. but you need to teach them logical reasoning and problem solving. That's the base of any coding problem. And there are lots of things we could do in that way that when you then start teaching how to script code, that you have that logical reasoning and problem-solving ability already. It's, you don't have to. There's a there's a sequence that you can follow when you when you when you're doing that. Um, and those are some of the things that we we're busy doing. So you should be able to get like a kid's version of logic and uh, exactly. training for logic and for problem exactly. solving. Exactly. Wow, that's amazing. We're going to go to your second song, Nomfundo, a more with a soft life because. Because this is a shout out to all of my ICT, all of our ICT champions um, across South Africa. We've got 36 of them. Uh, it's a pilot program that we started this year. It's part of our community skills. These were students that were all part of our matric grade 12 um, class last year, so got supported in our education program, and now are doing a skills development program with us on ICT. 
I am, Michelle, if I tell you, I'm immensely proud of this group um, and what they've done and what they're doing and just how they've changed in the past six months. So this is a song that they have put forward. I spoke, oh, to, them, I spoke to them yesterday <laughs> and I said, what recommendation do you have? This is one they all voted for. Yeah. Uh, and I so said they're listening them, now. They're all listening right now. And I said, I'm going to give a massive shout out to them. This is for you guys. And I am immensely proud of you. And I can't wait to see what you do in this world. Oh, can we not get some of them on the line? Uh, we can absolutely. Let's We can try and do, do that it. while you're playing um, the while song. While we play the song, we're going to try and get one of them on the line. Okay. Half past nine, you're with SAFM. That's the choice of our guest presenter, Zahira Suma. And the song is Numfundo Mo and Soft Life. And uh, Zahira was talking about the 30-odd kids, not odd as an odd, but the 36, I think you said. Yes. Children that, not children, young women and young men that are now going forward and doing absolutely extraordinary things. So then in Dosh, our producer who just like pulls it out of the sock or out of the cap or out of the box or whatever you call it, goes out and gets the ICT champion of the team, Rulani Mudumani, on the line. And we have Rulani on the line. Rulani, hello. Hello. Hello, Rulani. What I'm going to ask you to do is switch your radio off. We'll give you a recording of it later because otherwise you're going to be very slow in the response as you listen back on, on the radio first. Okay. that. Perfect. I know we, you didn't expect this, Rulani, but you know, Zahira was like singing the praises of you and your cohort of students. And we just thought, well, if not, why not? So here we are. We have you on the line and we want to know what was the experience of being part of that uh, training cohort like? Um, so it was really a great experience. I got to learn a lot. Um, yeah, I learned about um, how to be confident. First and foremost, I learned how to be confident. The, the program really helped me to um, find out who I really wanted to be in life because, to be honest, um, I had no idea. Like she said, um, there are kids who come from um, different um villages just like yeah. I do. I come from Musina, which is a really technology disadvantaged area. Here we 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 don't have the um, certain townships where we don't have electricity and um we we go about three weeks without water this side and um yes. So growing up, you know, people would aspire me to become doctor a doctor and um a lawyer or a nurse or a teacher rather because those are the common careers in our area so i never really knew about it or engineering <laughs> but then the program yeah the program really helped me you know to learn more about it to get deep into the uh, technology world yeah you to know the rulani uh, i have to ask you because I, I do think i mean i can look at my own uh, my upbringing and the the education that I had, and in so many ways, the education that you have impacts on how you then go past that and what you then choose to do. And I'd love to know from you what is it about IT that just made your heart sing and your eyes sparkle? Um, the fact that um, in IT you can actually employ yourself. Huh. Get it? Yeah. Yes. And then um, I got to know more about the coding, like um, 
actually last year when I was doing the Google ICT Sprint, that's where I got to know there was um, coding in Python, yes. And then that's where I got to know more about it. And then this year I was so intrigued um, and lucky enough to be in the technical support under Anglo-American. And then um, that's where I got to realize that in the IT world, you can actually employ yourself. And while employing yourself, just like Ms. Sahira said, we have high youth unemployment rate. So while you are your own boss, you can actually create job opportunities for other people. Rulani, as uh, we close off, what does this mean now for you and your family? What does it mean for you personally, but also um, your family as well as you move forward? This really means a lot to me and my family because um, I come from what I call an average family, yeah. only one working parent who, uh, who has to provide for six kids. So me being in this program and also getting the stipend and helping out really means a lot to them. They really appreciate that. They really appreciate what Anglo really has done for us. And then um, also for me, it has really made me, it has really opened my eyes. And now I now know what is it that I want to do in life. I now know what is it that I want to do going forward. Sure. Lani, where are we going to see you in the in the blue sky future? Are you going to be running your own company and supporting your family? Are you going to be the head of a company? Where do you see yourself going? Oh, most definitely. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be the head of a company, you know, have real estate, be the, the, the um, game changer in my family, yes. I think you're going to be that as well, Rulani. It's an absolute delight to talk to you. I know that you probably want to shout out to your whole cohort of students that you worked with because I hear that you guys, oh yeah, you chose um, the song. You chose the song and not uh, Zahira. So shout out. Yes. So shout out to the ICT champions. Shout out to Limpopo, to the Tundela group. Guys, you are the best. Keep on doing your best. You know, you can do anything if you... Tell yourself that, yes, you can. The sky is the limit. I love you guys. We love you too. Rulani, thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) Phineas, who's quick on the finger. Thank you, Phineas Oprah. We appreciate that. Rulani Mudumani, she's one of your students. Absolutely. She's amazing. Yeah. It sounds like they might all be amazing. Oh, they are. They are. Absolutely. All 36 of them. So, you know... Before we go into, and I want to go into your into your first guest because I think it ties in beautifully with the, the concept of um, technology and that. But before we go there, I, I have no doubt that we have people who are listening who are going, yes, but the company you work for is involved in mining and has an issue, and and perhaps rightfully, and perhaps they have issues with fossil fuels, perhaps they have issues with diamonds, perhaps they, whatever the case may be. This is a huge challenge, and this is a conversation that that I raise because as we move forward, we have got to find a solution that talks to equitable relationships across the sectors, whether it is a private sector partner or whether it is the public sector partner, or whether it is civil society, communities, the community players who have so much to, uh, that we can learn from. How, how do you deal with that? Because I've no doubt you, you, you probably do have to address that. Absolutely. I mean, it's not easy. I think that, um, you know, 
every sector has its reputation in society and it differs by country because the the context is different the uh, the role they play is different i think mm. in south africa specifically but not just in south africa look mining has probably taken its its hits over the past you know decades centuries etc um have we done everything to the best of its ability no i mean and we it's a learning journey like every other sector right um so you know we as anglo american i think uh, one thing i reconcile myself with is um me as an individual i need to believe in the organization that i that i'm part of i need to believe that they have the right intentions that they have the right moral fiber within them and they have the right mm. value system and that was a big consideration for me when i joined anglo and i actually talked quite a lot about that to the, the stakeholders at anglo and the executives before joining um and i believe anglo has good intentions right intentions they want to do right by society right by a country and right by its employees and its citizens base as well um and that means innovating and advancing as we go along and i think we we started to do that right a couple of weeks ago i think you saw the hydrogen truck um launch that we did mm. this is a move in the right direction when it comes to climate change when it comes to fossil fuels all of these things but at, on the other side of it michelle you know there's also dependency on these mining organizations we need power we need resources we we have job creation that we do there's labor there's there's a role that these companies play so it's about balancing it as well and understanding the role that they play what they give and how they're trying to advance and take it forward i think in south africa ppp public private partnerships is critical i think that where we are as a country um you I know i would say pp pp 3p and the reason i would say 3 yeah. is i would say public private third sector partnership because i yes. i feel like we need to ensure that the civil society Absolutely. third sector are, are included Absolutely. in the conversation. Absolutely. And that's very key in terms of how we deliver. So most of our programs as much as we are public as much as we are private organization and we 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 fund mm. it um everything that we do and how we deliver is through this third sector. Yeah. So we only use third sector to do the work that we do in these communities. And part of that is number 1, they the experts in the field. Yep, number 2, exactly. they have the reach in the in the society and the communities that we work in. Number 3, they local. And number 4, one of our big imperatives of this these programs, not just education but everything else we do, is to build third sector and civil society in this country mm. by us investing in them. to do the work in our communities we are building their capacity meaning that when we walk away or when we turn our attention to something else they are ca- fully capacitated that they can continue the work and that's part mm. of the sustainable model that we want to create in these countries so i'm going to go to your first guest nazreen sain who is the ICT manager of education and communities at anglo american and the reason that i'm this is this is going to raise the question of because we just heard Rulani speaking earlier about the kinds of jobs that we have been told as we grow up that we can be the doctor the nurse the whatever and yet there is this whole other world the challenge of course Nazreen is how do you work with something like uh, Zahira's putting out and saying okay let's make this work for people in rural areas even though it may be difficult How do you start with that? Your mic is on. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. So, I would say if we priority <coughs> is access, right? Mm. So, access we want our kids to have access to the internet. We want them to have how access to the digital though? world. And how do we give it? Yeah. Is a solution that we are it's evolving all the time. Yeah. it's um it changes daily yeah. it comes with lots of challenges 
Um, for us, we focus predominantly on Wi-Fi connectivity, on giving them devices, on empowering our educators to use those devices. Also, a shift of focus on it's not only we can't only rely on the educator the educator is equally important mm. but to, to empower the learner themselves to learn on their own using that technology is a big focus for us you know it's so interesting when we think about technology we think about i mean you could see it in an image it's, it is like a kind of ecosystem as a diagram it's like all these uh, lines which join onto other things and in many ways it's like biomimicry it's actually mimicking what is happening uh in the world in many spaces. I mean, your work, when you talk about access, it's not just about saying, we have to give you technology, but I imagine that your work is about saying, well, there's the educator, there's the family, there's the student themselves, Yes. there is the broader community, so there might be the principal, there might be the community leader, there might be the, 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 the religious leader, and that just, as you, as you mentioned, I think, off air, it's like a stone in a pool, and it just keeps growing outwards. How easy or difficult is it to ensure that all those stakeholders are playing in your field, which is technology? So I think there's a big focus on change management. There's a big focus on motivation. I mean, we run challenges, we run sprints within the school just to create that mm. um, sense of... Uh, to expose them to the technology and to create the motivation and the interest to spark the interest. Yeah. For us, it's like um, there's a. You, it's so easy to the divide. A digital divide can exist, mm. right? And it the, the focus is to ensure we close that digital gap. To ensure that our learners from our communities are exposed to the technology. They can they expose in such a way where we create an interest ensuring that they um, promote careers, right? Mm. Uh, we, we, even if it's not technology careers, being exposed to technology is making them ready for the future of work because future of work, yeah. all future of work includes technology, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like a basic, our Maslow's hierarchy of needs has changed. Mm. It, Internet connectivity, being exposed to technology is a need. Have, well, they say having access to yeah. Wi-Fi is one of the, the basic needs. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And Michelle, mm. your question around um, everybody playing a role and their skills, it's critical, right? And so this is where community skills comes into play because you want to be taking everybody along on this journey. There's a big dependency on principals and teachers to be skilled in order for students to be skilled. Mm. We get that. And so there's a big focus in our programs on making sure we take principals, circuit managers, district managers, SGB members, teachers along the journey with us. But one of the biggest mottos I live by and I try to get my team to live by is empower the learner to learn. That you are not fully dependent on everybody else. You yeah. have the ability to, with, if you have the resources and you have the mindset, you have the ability to upskill yourselves. Do we not all do it as adults? When you need to know something, do you not go to YouTube or Google and Google it and find the answer and then do it? And what I'm, what we want to try and teach our learners in our school is, you, if you have the resources and the access, you have the ability, you are empowered to learn on your own and not be dependent on others. I, you know, I'm so glad I'm not a, a teenager now. I, I really, I think about it a lot and I think about the... Um, the death of those young girls and boys, and they really were young, 13, mm -hmm. in, in the tavern. And I just think, you know, listening to Rulani saying confidence, it's given me 
confidence. And I'm sure every single one of the students that are part of your, your that cohort are going, what did I get? Yeah, sure, I learned how to do this and I learned how to do that. But what it gave me was confidence. Where are they getting that from? Just from learning. I think it's a bunch of different things, Nisreen. I mean, what do you think? I think it's a, the fact that one is you give them the attention and you make them feel like they're worthy of it, yes. right? Number one, yeah. you matter, okay? Yeah. You are not mm. a lost child. You're not a lost generation. You're not some lost person in a village. You matter. Yeah. You can be a future leader of this country and you matter, number one. Number two, believe in yourself and, and then you give them the opportunities to actually prove that I can do this. Mm. And the more the opportunities they can to say, oh, I didn't know I could do this, but I can, the more confidence you're building in them. And for me, if all they leave with is confidence and self-worth, we've done our job. <laughs> so I do have to ask mm. you this. What have you learned from those students? So I have a three-year-old. Yeah. And if I reflect on my life, oh, he's privileged. He has access, mm. right? Um, he's exposed. And for me, that's what we should be driving for those children in our communities across South Africa. Mm. It should be we want to close the digital gap. We want to ensure that all children have that kind of exposure opportunities. And we want them to be, there's a technology, there's a human element to it too, because you need to ensure that these children believe in themselves. Yeah. And just giving them one opportunity, just letting them achieve once, boosts and confidence all, levels. And don't we all know that, hey? Yes. When you get that certificate mm. of saying you've mm. passed, it just lifts your spirit in the most extraordinary way. Nazreen, I'm going to ask you to take a breather because we are going to go into Zahira's second guest. But Zahira, I just want to mention to Zahira, I just want to say... At the end of the show, I'm going to give you two minutes to shout out the names of that 36 cohort. Are you able to do that? Um, do you have them here? I ha I can get a list, absolutely, and shout it out. Can you get that list and I shout can. it out? Absolutely, we can do that. That is exactly what we are going to do. We're going to go to um, your second guest, who is currently on the line. And if you could both um, do your headphones as well so that you can listen to it. We are, if you have just joined us, talking to Zahira Sumar, who is the Global Head of Education and Community Skills uh, Programs at Anglo-American, working in diverse countries, but also working in South Africa and working very closely with uh, her second or her first guest, Nazreen Sain, who's an ICT manager uh, uh, of education and communities, and really looking at how we rethink the world for young people. And I think just having Rulani Mudamani, who was one of that cohort on the line, was inspiring, enthusiastic, and also just made us realize just what the opportunity to get something to make you feel confident is all about. Your second guest is an interesting one. Rory Baker is the project manager at something called Impact Catalyst. Now, if there were two words that have really been uh, used over the last couple of years, in the world of um, not just corporate social investment, but um, I suppose one could say even the ESG world, but also uh, how do we look at um, shared value and much, much more. Impact Catalyst is one of them. Who's Rory Baker? Yeah, so thanks, Michelle. And um, 
thanks for allowing us to have Rory and the Impact Catalyst on the show today. I wanted to do a shout out to them and have them because I think the Impact Catalyst under kind of the leadership of Charles Harding and Matthew Chadwick are doing amazing work in South Africa. They work in a couple of our pro- provinces, they partner with the provinces, and they really try to drive impact in that in that province, not just for education, but in, in different um, other streams. So jobs, job creation, um, municipal support, water, um, health, etc. The Impact Catalyst, though, we partner with them very closely on education and community yeah. skills, specifically ICT. So the Impact Catalyst is the organization or the, 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 the third sector that's doing our rollout of all of our connectivity at our schools. Yeah. And by the end of this year, Impact Catalyst would have helped us roll out connectivity to over 220 schools across our provinces. Um, and they are a fundamental partner of ours and to government here in South Africa. So I wanted Rory or the Impact Catalyst to just come on, talk a little bit about what's driving their passion, why they do what they do. Rory, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, hello, Michelle. You know, I'm just looking at the initiative that Impact Catalyst is, and it is intriguing that you were founded by public sector, private sector, also civil society, to ensure that... uh, Maybe impact is catalyzed, if one wants to look at it like that. That does sound like it's, it's, it's a valuable initiative and talks to what we've been talking to in the last hour. Yes, indeed. And um, our aims and our goals are encapsulated in our name, Impact Catalyst. Okay. And in, in collaboration with our partners, where we really strive to deliver positive socioeconomic change in our country that's aligned with sustainable development goals, and also to be a catalyst for large-scale initiatives. So, okay, there's a couple of things that jump out at me as you say that. The first one would be there, there are so many terms that are used in the um, social justice space, the social environment space, around shifting and changing the world. What are some of the examples of what you've done practically so that we can understand how it gets done as opposed to how we say it gets done? Well, uh, I believe you've been discussing some of the them that, that we've yeah. been involved with through the Anglo-American Foundation in particular and also yeah. other business units within Anglo. And the, the biggest one that you've been discussing right now is um, ICT implementation. And in that, we're rolling out ICT infrastructure to schools that that are in areas of our mining partners. And at the moment, we're busy with another initiative to switch on the broadband access. That's one of the ways in which we're doing it. Um, We're also involved in the health sector, also through Anglo and other mining partners of ours. And there we have trained health workers that... Uh, take responsibility for overseeing the the health profiles of families in, in the communities. And in that way, they're able to get families to to help sooner rather than later when there are health-related issues. And when we speak about health, we mean not only um, physical health, but mental health, social mm-hmm. health issues as well, GBV, um, alcoholism, drug abuse. Yeah. And Ro- the like. Rory, what does a job of this nature require? I, I think primarily a passion to make a difference. Mm. And if you've got that passion to make a difference, we can train people and develop people yeah. so that they have the skills to deliver that. But if you've got a passion to make a difference in the lives of people, then 
then you are qualified already. If you, uh, what, you know, what, what keeps you awake at night with this kind of work? Because, uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure there's a lot. But Nazreen <laughs> 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 is like nodding her head ferociously. Well, yeah, t- so if you're asking me as... solutions are difficult thing to come by overnight. Sustainable solutions. Sustainable solutions, yes. If, if you're asking me as a project manager, then, yeah. then it's do my team have the wherewithal to actually get the work done on the ground and um, how do I facilitate them overcoming the obstacles in their way to implementing that work? Yeah. Um, but just as a human being the and the legacy of our country and the the widening gap between the haves and the have-nots, um, how do we overcome that so that we, that we really impact positively on the socio-economic development of our country? It's a big ask. It is a big ask, and I, I sometimes think is the only way to deal with this with the starfish approach, that you go one small starfish, you saved its life, another small starfish, you saved its life, instead of like saying, well, huge scale and we'll make it work. How does it work for you? Yeah, no, the, I believe in that as well. You know, just making a difference one at a time and, and then finding ways to scale that difference so that when you make a difference for one, it actually impacts further down the line on 10 or 12 or 15 mm. others. And, and so one of, the, um, one of the things we look for in, in our initiatives is, is this initiative scalable? Yeah. So, yes, we do. We do something here for 100 people maybe, but can we take this and replicate that model elsewhere and, and hence use that same model to impact in other areas of our country? Yo, I always have some questions around scalability and how one does that. But, but what I'd like to maybe put to all of you, to um, you, Rory, but also to you, Nazreen, and also uh, to Zahira, is what is very, very clear is how this does require people who may not have the same vision in the world, who may not have the same uh, philosophies on the world. It requires different people from different sectors to really say, this is the goal that we are all working for. That can't always be easy. And um, Rory, I'll start with you. Well, it's true because um, when when you're looking for alignment uh, among a lot of different people with a lot of different agendas, different histories, different political persuasions, mm. it does take a lot of hard work to to overcome a lot of the uh, what what psychologists call the the below the tip of the iceberg yeah. stuff, you know, feelings, attitudes, thoughts, politics, etc. But but when you do that as wisely as possible, and we're all human beings um, interacting with other human beings, but when you do that in a way that other people can catch a common vision, that's that's how you achieve great things together. Nazreen. I also think, um, you know, when you all, when you put personalities aside and you're all focused on the impact that you want to achieve, yeah, and you drive that, it's it's it, it's easier for us to run with it, right? And a lot of it's difficult in our situation because a lot of our solutions haven't been done before. So sometimes you got to just 
You Put your bite the bullet all. and you got to go with it. Like yeah. there's so many considerations for us. When we deployed our devices at schools, we had to think about theft. Mm. We had to think about what kind of security impact is this going to mm. have. But we bit the bullet and we rolled out all our devices to all of our schools. And you have to wait and see. Sometimes you just have to wait and see. Yeah. And we take the lessons as we go along. Like mm. as long as we all on the same achieving the same goal, yeah, we can sprint up. <laughs> Zahira, what about you? Yeah, I think that um, I mean I agree with what Rory and Nasreen said. I think that look, when it comes down to really focusing on the outcomes and the impact, one of the things that we do is we put the learner and the citizen at the core focus. When you are talking about whose life or lives do you want to change, it becomes very clear what you need to do and what becomes success. And you let the politics, you let the bureaucracy go. Now, we all work for different organizations and with investment from government, from private sector, from third sector, anywhere, Mm. so comes other additional things that everyone wants to achieve, right? It's not as simple as that. But I think if we always maintain focus of whose life or are we trying to achieve or what is the purpose, you get 90% of it right. And then the other part of it is when you build the relationship, and this has been hard in COVID, but we've strived to do this. When you build a humanistic relationship of the people who are working together, you overcome the other hurdles. Mm -hmm. You will get through it. You will find your right rhythm, your method of working together where you can achieve all collectively, but don't lose sight of what is it that we're ultimately trying to do and for who. And if we constantly remember that, we'll achieve it. Let's do it. We've only got a minute, but I'm going to hope that we can just roll over a little bit because you have 36 names to read. We've never done this before, but this is a big shout out to 36 young people who are going to grow, who are going to expand. Let's hear their names and not just call them the 36. Amazing. So before I do the names, I just want to say shout out to the summit team, who's Lolo, Marika and Matthew and the rest of their team who are doing a fantastic job of working with our learners. Our Musina learners are Letaha, Elisa, Rulani, Francis. From Bloberg, we have Solomon, Mahlodi. Amandabalt, we've got Lesedi and Stephen. Mohalakwena, we've got Sasa, Jim, Matlakala, Mpo, Utumaleng, Joy and Seipati. From Greenside and Quizela, we've got Sandile, Chantal, Sibusisu, Chantal and Bridget. From Zubulu, we've got Agnes, Lungile, Fatima, Mpo, Zita, Mutsodisi. And from Sishin, we've got Ipeleng, Chefogazzo, Denio, Refense, Rorisang, Osejo, Kenalone, Chidiso, Rorisang, and Sahone. Proud of all 36 of you guys. Woohoo! Well done. What can we say? Zahira, thank you so much for joining us on the show. What a brilliant way to shout out and uh, remember what we do this all for. It's 10 o'clock. It's time for the news. It's no longer good morning. It's now goodbye.